Thanks for listening to Parkview on the Go. No matter where you're from, what your story is, or where you are on your spiritual journey, you belong here and we want to help you take a step toward God. If at any point along the way you feel like you want to have a conversation about faith, life, and where God might be leading you next, you can let us know at parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. That's parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. We hope this content encourages you to continue becoming the person God created you to be. Enjoy the service. Throughout history, people have attempted to paint the perfect portrait of Jesus. Sometimes he's smiling, sometimes he's crying. He's praying, kneeling, walking, healing. We all love our gentle, sweet image of Jesus, but that picture isn't complete. In fact, there's a lot more to the story. If we're going to really understand the Savior of the Bible, it's time to take a fresh look. For years, Christians have asked, what would Jesus do? But what if we asked a better, more illuminating question? What made Jesus mad? Hey, happy fall, everybody. Happy fall at our other campuses. We're glad to have you here. Uh, Here's my favorite uh, fall picture so far. The weather just went from 80 to 55 like it saw a state trooper. Come on, that's funny right there. I don't care what you say. That's funny right there. I am glad to be preaching to real people again. I'm glad that you guys are here. Uh, you know, the at the movies thing was fun, and, and I love it. And doing it, you know, on set and everything kind of makes it all work. But, man, I, uh, I like being with r- real people, really preaching. And, and before I get jumping into this, let me just tell you um, that, that, that I'd love for you to help us out at all of our campuses. I mean, we're really struggling to find volunteers right now, and that is for a whole lot of different reasons. I understand. Um, I really do get it. But I just want to ask you to jump in and help us out as we move into Christmas time and as we move into the new year and hopefully move out of uh, coronavirus season and people start coming back. We need more and more volunteers. We've got a form for you. It's really going to be very simple. Uh, Here's where we need help. Guest services, uh, Parkview Kids, and in production. We need help with all of those things. And, And you don't even have to pick anything if you don't want to. You can get an all-access pass on one of these days and just show up and kind of look around and go, okay, what can I do? And not all of our services make it possible for you to attend one and serve one, but a lot of them do. One way or another, we just really, I mean, I'm just asking you. We need some help. We need you to make this your church and jump in and help us, okay? We're talking about what made Jesus mad. This book I wrote a couple of years ago, and as my grandchildren and say it this way. Go. Say it. What made you just mad? What? (laughs) (laughs) They're adorable. Um, what made Jesus mad? We did four weeks on it a, a couple of years ago, and that was only about a third of the book, really, honestly. And the books are available at all of our campuses, and some of them are signed. So, man, I, I'd love for you to get it, and all the money goes to the ministry of Parkview. I'd love for you to read it, um, because I'm, and I'm going to spend the next four weeks on it again. And if you're wondering, I, I, know, I know you're like, well, wait a minute, How, Jesus mad, this doesn't make any sense. If you'll stay with this, I think it will. Jesus did say things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? And he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and humble in heart. That's the Jesus, you know, that we think of, okay? And and that sounds nice, but what about this? You snakes, 
You brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? I mean, can you imagine a religious leader posting that on Twitter? That was Jesus. And his words could be sharp and biting. And like I said in the video I posted today, I mean, the, some, a lot of the red letters are angry red letters. They're red, red letters. And the things that Jesus said were either a direct condemnation of someone's attitude or a story to illustrate the condemnation of somebody's attitude. Jesus was angry. Ricky Bobby said, I like praying to the baby Jesus in his golden fleece diapers, right? But you can't do that. You can't keep Jesus in the manger and also he didn't have golden fleece diapers, okay? What I'm saying is that when the Son of Man gets mad, when the Son of God gets mad, we should pay attention. We learn more, it's been my illustration through it all, about the things that people don't like than we do about the things that they do like, right? When you were a kid, did you ever do anything that made your parents mad? And then the next time you thought about doing it, you decided not to, right? You hesitated just a minute. I remember calling my dad lazy one time, okay? I called him lazy one time, and then I never did it again. And to this day, I can't tell you his favorite television show or his favorite breakfast cereal, but I know that he does not like to be called lazy, okay? Note to sell. So don't try to pass over the red, red letters in your Bible. Here's the problem. Who was Jesus mad at? I know we, we, we hate, hate speech, we, we don't want to be mad, we, we, we're, we don't want to be judgmental, we don't want to be those people, and that's why this is so important, because the people that Jesus was mad at were usually the religious leaders, and, and I've been doing ministry for, I guess, 38 years now, and uh, you know, up until a few years ago, I really just passed all that stuff over, you know, because those were the Jewish religious leaders. And they didn't eat bacon, so of course they were crabby, right? Am I right? Then one day I realized that the Pharisees were just the church leaders of their day. And it was Jesus' church. It was, it, was the, it was God's idea of how church was supposed to be done. <laughs> These weren't cult leaders of a religious sect that thought the Messiah was going to come on a spaceship behind uh, Halley's Comet, okay? They were God's chosen people. So I did a deeper dive, and here's what I found out. What made Jesus mad was denied access to the Father. This is why this is important. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. This is the heart, this is the heart of who we are as a church. It's about removing barriers. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about this this week, I, I may get to heaven. I, I run the risk of getting to heaven and God saying, dude, you went a little too far. Removing the barriers, you know. Um, God may say, you know, some of those rules that you thought were pretty legalistic, that there were some of them I really did like. You know, maybe God's going to say, like dancing. I know it's not in the Bible, but I don't like watching you people dance, okay? So you just need to stop. Kevin Bacon has to clean the toilets up here because of Footloose. I'm just telling you, I really didn't want people to do that. But, but, but I'm willing to run that risk, okay? Because I think that I understand God 
and grace enough to know that that's not going to be true. So I am, we are always going to err on the side of keeping all that other stuff out of the way of your relationship with your father. We will work very hard at that. That's my heart's passion. And, and, you know, I was thinking about it this week, too. I I don't know why. It's a God-given thing for me. But it's my story. I'm going to have Pastor Richie preach this fourth week of this because I want you to hear his story. My story is not one that I really ever suffered from the legalistic tendencies of the church. I really didn't. I just always broke the rules that I thought were dumb because I, I didn't care. And my parents were cool. My, my dad was a pastor, and, and I'm sure they had crabby people in their church that didn't like it because there are crabby people in every church. But they let me go to dances in high school. I, I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have to break the rules. And that was the late 70s. And, and, you know, and, and, and people were like, and I know this dancing thing doesn't make any sense to you unless you're a Baptist. But, 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 but it was a big deal, okay? It was a big deal back in the, you know, in the Midwest. And, and, and yet, I was, I'm so proud to tell you that my parents let me go to dances. And I know there aren't very many of you who know how to dance to Stairway to Heaven, right? I mean, because there's that transition between the slow parts and then the fast parts. I mean, you, you should have seen me. But, but I did first, you know, at the two series, in the series that we did two years ago, I talked about how Jesus was mad at blocking children's access. He, Jesus said, if you mess with my children like the children, it would be better for you to have a rock tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. How many times have you read over that and thought, well, that must mean something different? No, it didn't mean anything different. Jesus was like saying that, like you'd be better off with concrete shoes thrown into the sea than to mess with my kids. We also talked about legalism and rules that people made up, and and I'm going to talk more about that even today, but especially we talked about it in relationship to alcohol because it was just the easiest illustration and how it blocks it for so many people. And then we talked about judgment and the woman caught in the act of adultery and and Jesus' treatment of her. I think it's the most important story in there. And, And the ironic part about it is that when the people started putting the Bible together, we know that that they didn't even want to include that story in the Bible. If you look in your Bible, it'll say some old manuscripts don't even have this story in the Bible. And one of the early church fathers told us why is because it made people uncomfortable that Jesus would take an adulterous woman and say, hey, I love you. I don't condemn you. Go, go and sin no more. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the big one for me is the all-access pass to a beautiful relationship with our Heavenly Father. That Jesus got mad and overturned the tables in the temple, not... So much, in my opinion, because they were charging a a crazy rate, it was because they were in the court of Gentiles and they were blocking access to the people who were farthest out of, of, of God's view, okay? And he will throw people or tables out of the way to get us backstage to God. So what I want to talk about today is the sons of hell. I love this. I, I, this is one of my favorite, okay? It sounds like a TV show on FX, right? Great name for a biker game. Except this is Jesus' description of his religious leaders. Here we go. <laughs> Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers in law, you, Phar- you Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Okay, let's go on to the next verse. Woe to you, teachers in the law and Pharisees. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Again, you probably read over that and thought, well, I don't, I don't know what he's saying, but he probably didn't mean, no, he meant it. You're a hell boy, you're a hell girl, and you're getting in the way. So let me explain the best way I can by taking you back to school for a moment, okay, so that you can understand how this whole thing was playing out. In any classroom, you will always have two major groups of students. There are those that sit on the front row and those that sit on the back row, okay, right? Those that sit on the front row, God bless you all, they, they sit up there because they did their homework and they like it when the teacher asks a question, they can stick up their hand and say, ooh, ooh, pick me, okay? Think Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, okay? That's what I'm talking about. And the second group of people, they just want to have fun and get a decent grade. And they usually sit on the back row. And that's because it's the farthest distance from the teacher and you have better chance of getting away with things back on the back row. Okay? And I must admit that I have a soft spot for the people on the back row because that was always my MO. Okay? I mean, I, I just need you to understand that. From experience, I always sat on the back row. As a matter of fact, back in the day I went to Bible college, we used briefcases. Do you guys remember briefcases? I mean, backpacks were there, but for some reason, we all carried briefcases around. And, 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 and youngins, you need to understand, there's no computer, no iPad, no nothing. You had to take your big, fat textbook and stick it in here. And if you had like three classes in a row, it's probably the cause of my back problems to this day, right? Because you got to drag this sucker around. But... One of the great things about briefcases that you will never get with a backpack is the ability to sit on the back row and go back to sleep. They were awesome for that because the teacher couldn't tell whether you were writing or reading or, or sleeping, which I was doing a lot in my 7 o'clock classes in Bible college with boring professors trying to teach me stuff I didn't really care about. Uh, the only way you get away with that is if you're on the back row, okay? And a classroom, I think, is a perfect microcosm of society because whenever you add a rule to the system, it will polarize people. Should we wear masks? Let's polarize everyone. Should we get vaccines? Let's polarize everyone. And some people are happy for the rules and they want to follow them, you know, the front row people. And some people don't agree with the rules and, and, and they're not really sure and they're in the middle. And some of us, we just don't care whether the rules are good or not. We just don't want to follow them, okay? But in the beginning, God started civilization. And if you're going to have civilization, part of that includes the word civility. So he instructed his humans about how to live. 613 commands that he gave the children of Israel. Stuff about sex and food and hygiene and legal order because you have to have some kind of uniform standard. But fast forward to Jesus' day where he's talking to the sons of hell, the front row people. In Jesus' day, the front row people... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law liked following the rules so much 
that they started adding rules on top of God's rules so that they could have more things to do right. They were like personal trainers. You know, they're like, okay, well, do, do, do some of these. Okay, now this time add five more burpees after that one. No, I'm not doing anything else. Don't add stuff to me. That's why people quit personal trainers, am I right? And this, is, this was not about physical health. This was about spiritual health. It was about a relationship with God. And if this is starting to sound painfully familiar to some of you, I get it. Let's define a burpee, if you don't know what that is. Never mind. Let's just define a burpee as an extra rule that your church added that made you want to quit. All right? I'm going to give you a chance right now. Turn to your neighbor and start listing them. Go ahead. (laughs) I want to hear you. Start talking to to your neighbor. What were some of the rules? That got added. If you didn't grow up in church, you can just sit there. That's all great. I mean, I mean, keep talking, but, I, you know, I'm thinking, I know that it's like drinking. I already talked about that. Not in the Bible. Jesus made wine. Uh, dancing, you know, drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. That was, that was the thing, right? You, you, got, um, you got not bringing coffee in the auditorium. I mean, that's why, I mean, I, I don't care if you bring it in and spill it all over. It doesn't matter because it can't be a rule that gets in the way. How about tattoos, right? Oh, it says in the Bible. Now it says in the Old Testament, and those were markings for the dead. You know, I mean, I mean how, how many more things do you want to do with this? And, and they started <coughs> adding more rules to make it harder. What they did was then <coughs> that made it harder for somebody to get a good grade. It just made people like me want to flip up the suitcase, the briefcase, and go to sleep. So along comes Jesus, the great teacher, the miracle worker. Was he the long-awaited Messiah? It's hard to tell. Because when he showed up, he wasn't like a normal Pharisee. He wasn't a teacher of the law, necessarily. He was a rabbi. He was trained. But he doesn't act like everybody thinks he's supposed to. He's not the teacher's pet. As a matter of fact, he doesn't sit on the front row. He doesn't even sit in the middle. He sits in the back with the people who are sleeping in their briefcases. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, front row people, saw this, they said, Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners and sitting in the back? And on hearing this, Jesus said, well, because it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. But why don't you go and learn what this means? I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. I, in other words, have not come for the people on the front row. If you guys think you're good enough, that's all fine. That's all great. My paraphrase of this is, I have come for the people on the back row, and I choose to sit with the people on the back row. And that's why it made Jesus mad. (coughs) And when the teachers called on him, he went to the front of the class, and he gave amazing answers. And then he turned around and told the other people on the front row that they had bad attitudes, and he called them hypocrites with an exclamation point. And why is that important? Because I think that Jesus would do the same thing 
today. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips. Listen, please listen carefully to this. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And they worship me in vain because their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus told them that although they were naturals at religion and they knew all the answers, they still weren't good enough to get into the kingdom. And then he told them to stop looking down on all the other people at the same time. How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Again, Jesus is not being nice and happy here. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And then he calls them sons of hell. Woe to you, teachers in the law, Pharisees, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, when you have talked them into sitting on the front row and following all of your rules, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Do you see how drastic this is? Do you see how important it is that we study this stuff? I mean, this is crazy. If that statement doesn't knock you back, you aren't reading it correctly. First of all, Jesus is saying that that their system of rule following is not of heaven. It is from hell. Not that following the rules is wrong. It's that their assumptions are wrong. Their assumptions about following God and and making God happy are wrong. Let me say it this way. Their assumption was that they could win God's favor if they were just good enough. Please don't raise your hand. But how many of you would say, yeah, that's... What I thought it was, too, when I was growing up. That, that's what I thought it was about, right? I, if, if I'm good enough, <coughs> if I do enough of the right good things or don't do enough of the wrong bad things, I'm going to win God's favor. To think that we, thank you, to think that we as human beings, listen carefully to this, to think that we as human beings can somehow earn our way to the banquet table of God is absolutely ridiculous. To think that we, fallen human beings that we are, can earn our way to the banquet table of God is ridiculous. It's basically the theme of the whole New Testament, by the way. The Apostle Paul later on says, he, he says, hey, There's no one going to be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Maybe it's not ridiculous, it's hellacious. The Pharisees were children of hell, according to Jesus, primarily because they rejected God's provision for their salvation. They tried to justify themselves through the things that they did. And not only was it a problem for them, not only were they not going through the door, remember that's what he said, into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of grace, they were literally blocking the door. Just like those those people in in the temple courts who had all their stuff in the ways, in the courts of the Gentiles, and Jesus overturned them so that people could get in. And that made Jesus 
mad. And here's what I need you to understand. When religious leaders, like myself even, when religious leaders come along and open the door even slightly to the idea that God loves his good children more than he loves his bad children, we are literally playing into the greatest tactic hell has ever produced. I know this is blowing your mind a little bit, but hear it from me, and I promise you it's true. When religious leaders open even a slight crack and make you feel like if you're good, God's going to love you more than you're bad, we are playing into the greatest tactic hell has ever produced. And here's why. Religion that way leads to pride at the people in the front of the classroom, and that's a problem. But the bigger problem for all the rest of us is the despair in the back of the classroom. Example, one time um, some religious leaders came from Jerusalem, okay? And you need to understand, I know you're just like, well, Jerusalem was just the one place. No, 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 there was lots of different places. And Jerusalem was like the Ivy League. If they come from Jerusalem, they're on the honor roll, okay? So these are the top-notch guys who were coming. And Jesus and his disciples are in another town. And so these people came from like, you know, Grand Central, whatever, you know, the the important place, Washington, D.C. of religion. And they came out to where Jesus was and they griped at Jesus and his disciples because the disciples were not doing hand washing the right way. Okay. Like literally. It's like when people gripe at you for having your mask down below your nose. Okay, and I'm sorry, I have a beard, but if I open my mouth, it goes down. That's just how it is. I, I'm not, not trying to spread anything. This hand-washing tradition, which they had ignored, had not been one of the original rules. It had been added. And some of the Pharisees, it says, and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And instead of answering their stupid argument, Okay, because this wasn't about washing their hands. It was about how they did it. It had to do it a certain way. Jesus said, well, hey, wait a minute. Let me me do a counterattack here. I want to ask you about something even more important. And he launches into, why do you break this command of God for the sake of tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have received from me is a gift devoted to God that he is not to honor his father with it. You are nullifying the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Let me explain that, okay? Deeper question, okay? Jesus says, no, my followers did not uh, wash their hands the correct way, uh, and that's true, and I really don't care what you think, and you're going to kill me anyway, so I don't even want to talk about that. But since you brought it up, let's talk about you being sons of hell, because you're making up rules. Let's talk, this rule was called Corbin, okay? And Corbin was a rule that, that they made up that was, to me, I, I, in the book I said, it's kind of like calling shotgun, okay? It's not really a, a real law, but, you know, when you call shotgun, if you're in a group of people, that means you get to sit up front if you call it first. There's no actual bearing on the law, but it's in that same category of being selfish, and I don't care about anybody else. Here it is, an episode from The Office, where it becomes clear that Dwight has a concussion, and they're going to take him to the hospital, but Michael still calls shotgun. The rules of shotgun are very simple and very clear. The first person to shout shotgun when you're within the side of the car, gets the front seat. That's how the game's played. There are no exceptions for someone with a concussion. 
that's, that's very simple. Thank you, Michael. Corbin was the name of this rule. And this is basically what they would do is these religious leaders would give all their assets to God and then they didn't have to let anybody else use them. But somehow they still got to use them. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, hey, Tim, can I borrow your lawnmower? Oh, I'm sorry, you can't borrow it because I already gave it to God. Well, it's right there in your garage. Oh, yeah, well, Corbin, no, you can't use it. If that sounds goofy, it's because it was. And the real problem with it was that they were dishonoring their father and mother so that they could make some loophole so that they didn't have to give anything to them. One of the big commandments of the top 10, right? Moses comes down with the tablets. He carries them down the mountain, probably with dirty hands. And it says, honor your father and mother. And they started making up new rules. And, 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 and please understand this. Jesus wants us to do the things that are good for us. I'm not saying that. I mean, for crying out loud, wash your hands. I wrote this book before COVID-19. Wash your hands. There's some good things, right? The problem was that the church leaders were offended because the disciples didn't do it in an annoyingly specific way. So here, this will just help you. Can you imagine going to the temple to worship God? Say you're a Gentile. So you got to get around the people that are selling the doves and the sheep that Jesus threw out, but they came back, and and you're trying to go in, and you get there, and and you want to go in to worship God, and and these people with their robes on are like, I'm sorry, did you wash your hands? Well, yeah, I washed them. Well, did you wash them the right way? Because you can't come in unless you wash them the right way. What what are you going to do? Elias Shakua wrote about growing up in a Christian boarding school in the Middle East. Fascinating story. Went to chapel to pray one night and fell asleep and being punished for breaking and then was punished for breaking the curfew rules. Even though he was praying and he fell asleep in the chapel, he was punished because he broke curfew. And he wrote this. He said, for the first time, I stood face to face with the unbending rules of the church as an institution. I could not understand why strict obedience to a rule was more important than a heart-seeking God. I could not fault the principal. He was just a man carrying out his job to the best of his ability. And in the end, I submitted, more or less quietly, to my punishment, 40 days of restrictions. Unfortunately, he said, this would not be my last exposure to the side of the church that seems to have forgotten about the humanity it was intended to. To serve. I got to read that again because that was the important part of the whole thing. The church that seemed to have forgotten the humanity it was intended to serve. That's what we're talking about. And Jesus called them sons of hell. I, was just, I didn't have this in until this morning. I thought about it today because I've had so many conversations with so many of you whose parents got divorced right? So you couldn't have communion anymore. You couldn't be a part of the church anymore. I don't get it. Your parents could have been mass murderers and you could have had communion, right? But because your parents got divorced, which by the way, Jesus said there were grounds for divorce in the Bible. 
And by the way, nobody ever bothered to ask what was actually going on in your parents' divorce or in your divorce. And I'm not saying I like divorce. I mean, I don't like divorce any more than the rest of us. But, but back in the day, that was also another one of those things, wasn't it? That's an easy one for us to pick on. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 sons of hell. And when they taught others or they blocked others from going into the kingdom, he called them sons of hell. Because they were scaring the very people. I mean, the very people, the very children of a couple that's going through a divorce needs God and the church more than anything else, right? So why would we be getting in the way of that? If you're going through a divorce, why would we be getting in the way of letting you come back to the Father? It doesn't make any sense. So Jesus broke rules on purpose. He, he liked to heal people on the Sabbath just for fun. I promise you, read the Bible. It's in there. And you think, well, yeah, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. No, but the, 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 the front row people had made up 39 different ways that you could not do things on the Sabbath. You could not spit in the dirt on the Sabbath because you'd be making mud. You could spit on a rock and it would be fine. But you couldn't spit this. I'm not making this up, you guys. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath one time, and nobody griped about it. And finally he said, you know what? If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. And in Mark's version of the miracle, it says, he looked around at them with anger being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. And it must have made an impression on the disciples because the gospel writers tell us that they recorded a lot of the miracles that Jesus did, but they couldn't record all of them because they couldn't record all the things that happened. But they did more recording of miracles on the Sabbath than they did any other kind. And it kind of appears that it really wasn't about the miracles. Like the disciples were going, I want to make sure you guys know that Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath on purpose. And what we learn when we really dig into the Bible is that people on the back row were blown away by a representative of the Father who was more interested in doing good than following rules. And that is a complete 180 from their understanding of who God was. And it may be a complete 180 of your understanding of who God was, of who the Father was was of course a good father would find his children's needs more important than a list of certain approved activities on a certain day if your kid fell in a well you'd get them out jesus said if they were sick you would find a doctor who was open on the weekend if they wanted chick-fil-a well there's only so much you could do about that <laughs> stephen brown wrote this and i shared this the last time i preached this stuff i'm I, I'm, I started to say I'm sorry I'm so passionate about it, but I'm not. It's what God called me to. Here's what Stephen Brown said. The good news is that Christ frees us up from the need to obnoxiously focus on our goodness, our commitment, and our correctness. Religion has made us obsessive almost beyond endurance. 
Jesus invited us to a dance, and we've turned it into a march of soldiers, always checking to see if we're doing it right, and if we're in step, and we're in line with the other soldiers at our church. And we know a dance would be more fun, but we believe we must go through hell to get to heaven, so we keep marching. And even as I quote that, some of you are like, that, that can't be right. Obviously, Steve is using dancing as a metaphor, but it feels dangerous. Marching in line is, is more comfortable. Marching in line with everybody else and making sure we're all in the same pattern, it, it seems like that's a better way for us all to live and we don't have to worry about anything else. And yeah, I understand that, you guys. Grace is dangerous. And does that mean that God doesn't care how we live? Of course not. He's our dad. He wants what's best for us. But we have to be able to see it that way. And if we don't, we're going to end up just thinking it's a bunch of burpees and we're going to walk away. And that's what happened to a lot of you. And, I, and I'm sorry. Bob George wrote, when Christians are living under the law, the results are the same as they have always been. And it doesn't matter whether you are trying to live up to God's laws, man-made laws, or even your own self-imposed standards. The result will be fear and guilt and frustrations and feelings of condemnation. Can I just ask you, if that is your feeling about your relationship with God right now, fear, guilt, frustration, and condemnation, you will experience a lack of ability to love God or men. He says, how can you love a God that you are laboring to please but never can? And when you feel continual guilt and condemnation, how can you be kind and forgiving to other people? When they appear to be doing well, you envy them. And when they fail, you judge them. After all, why should I let you off the hook if God is hammering me every time I blow it? That's the way that you think under the law. We're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks. I just want to pray for you right now and um, ask your forgiveness on behalf of the sons of hell who have gone before me, okay? Lord God, I do believe that you are the good father who wants us in. And Jesus, I know that you got mad. Almost every time you got mad, it was about blocking access to the father. And one of the major ways that people like me have blocked access to your father has been through this very thing. Focusing on being good, focusing on the law, making up things about the law, not giving people grace to live where they live, forcing people to march in a line instead of allowing them to come into a relationship with you and maybe have a, a daddy-daughter dance, a daddy-son dance because that's really what you want. I feel so bad for the people that I'm preaching to right now who, who, who grew up in a system where they were taught that you were a tyrant and that you were 
judgmental and that they had to do a bunch of stuff to make you happy. I feel so bad for them, Lord. But Father, I feel the most bad for you. I feel the most bad for you because as a father and a grandfather, I can't imagine what it's been like for so many centuries where your kids felt like you were a, you were a bad guy. You were a policeman that was waiting to write us a ticket. You, you were a, a judge who was waiting for us to do something wrong so that you could throw the book at us that you were a hard, harsh parent who didn't love us. Every story your son told was about how good and loving and forgiving you were. And then he went and died on a cross to pay for all of our sins so that we could live in freedom with you. So I feel bad for your relationship with the kids in the Old Testament. But I really feel bad for your kids since Jesus. Because you gave him so that we could live in freedom with you. I don't always remember it either, Lord. But as a church, it is our commitment. Be with us and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Like I mentioned before, we would love to hear from you. And if you want to talk with our team about taking your next step toward God, visit parkviewchurch.com slash next steps to let us know. Now may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. See you next time.